that's what we're talking about today, from Luke chapter 19. In this message that I'm calling, Who is God in this city? What's your favorite city in the world? Maybe it's right where you are. I, I've been blessed. I've, I've traveled a little bit around the world. And so I've got some cities that I love. Like I love the city of love, Paris. And I've had the chance to be there in Paris with my bride a few times because of our mission partnerships in France. I love the city of Paris. Man, I love the city of London because I can understand the language. And uh, I can see so much of our, our heritage and and. and Boy, there's a seesaw in front of Buckingham Palace, and I love being there with my bride. And uh, I love New York City, the Big Apple. Uh, now, you can have a lot of fun in New York City, and it's opening back up, and uh, there's you can see Broadway shows. You can eat some of the best food and see some of the greatest sights, and I love being in New York City with my, my baby. Um, and my, my wife, she, her family, they, they came from Colorado, so I've I grew up in South Carolina. I'd never been to Colorado, but we began to visit there a good bit. And I loved the little city of Vail. And, and boy, when it was cold and I could snuggle up with my wife in the snow in Vail, that warmed me up. I, I love cities all around the world. But you know what I figured out? I, I love the person I'm with in those cities more than I love that geographical location. And maybe you've got some cities that you've been to that are pretty cool. I think the city of Istanbul is incredible. I love visiting there. Man, I love going to Jerusalem. I would love for you to go there with me sometime. What a great city. But when we look in God's Word and we see all these different cities that are mentioned, what we begin to realize is God's not trying to get us to understand geography. He, he's trying to get us to understand his love for people because we, the people, we make up the city. That's what Jesus was saying in that great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world and a city that's set on a hill. You, you cannot be hidden. So you become the city of God here in this world that's been made by his hands and you represent him. And, and you're not covert, you're not hidden in this world, but you're, you're shining brightly for His glory and, and on His mission. And that's why we talk about our mission as a church, and it, it's simple to understand. We, we say we want to do whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. Let's say that together. Doing whatever it takes, wherever we are, to shine with the light and the love of Jesus like a city on a hill. And I believe that's why God's put you here. You, you do understand he puts you here, right? You, you thought you moved here. You, you thought you decided to load up that U-Haul and come down from New York or New Jersey or Connecticut. We've had a lot of those over the last couple of years. But the Bible says he put you here. Paul's talking to a group of people in that great ancient city of Athens and he's walking around and he's seeing the sights like you and I do in the cities and he said, man, there's some great buildings here and there's all kinds of statues. There's even idols. I even passed one idol, he says, that says this is to the unknown God. But then he says this, he says, and, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth 
having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. You see, if if you're a person of the book, if you believe the Bible, what the Bible teaches is we make our plans, but God directs our steps. And, And so you think you chose to live here? The Bible says that in his sovereignty, he positioned you here. So really what you've got to begin to ask and what we seek to answer as we gather as the church, as the body of Christ, is we want to know, God, why are we here? We're going to answer that in these next few minutes. Let's pray together once more. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to say we love you. Oh, it's good just to gather and to sing about you and sing to you and to praise your name. Lord, there are some days it seems confusing, but on days like today, we just can't wait to be in heaven and to be able to be part of that awesome chorus that's just praising you forever and worshiping you, Jesus, and just being overwhelmed by how good you are and how great it is to be in your presence. So thank you. We do worship you, but we also need you. We need you because here on this earth, we so often feel lost and sometimes we feel lonely and we we long for that that heavenly home and that eternal city that you've created for us. And, And so a lot of times we just have to say, God, why are we here still? And what are we doing? And how do you want to use us? And what is your plan? And God, so we need you to talk to us. And I I thank you that we have the Bible, your word, and that it's perfect and true. And it's not just printed words on a page, but this is the word of God that is spoken and living and active. And and it, it, it comes into our lives with great power and force. So Lord, use your word to teach us what we don't know. Give us, Lord, those things we don't have. Lord, you you tell us that you make all things new, that you make us into a new creation, that that we're not conformed to this world. We don't look like this world, but we're transformed into your image. And and we know we're created in your image. And now you tell us we can be transformed into your image. So make us more like you, Jesus, because we're here. Nobody, not one of us needs another church service, God. But we need to be more like you, Jesus. So once more, I pray today with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, my strength and my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 19, we see Jesus descending that Mount of Olives heading into Jerusalem. And there there are a couple of eventful scenes that we come across in Luke 19. For example, we see him come in contact with a little guy, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. And and we see in this story that Jesus loves people. And I, I think that's important for the context of where this passage ends up, because at the core of who Jesus is, is that he loves people and and, and that's what you and I have to understand. He loves me and you, but he also loves those that we may even have a hard time loving because he loves people like Zach is. And so then we have that, what's called the triumphal entry, 
where Jesus starts coming into the city and, and ironically, the very same people that just a few days later will put him to death. They're cheering him on. And, and we see that principle that I've seen all my life that is easy in a gathering when you got a lot of folks around you to say, praise the Lord and hallelujah and, and act like we're all in. But then when the going gets tough, often the, the tough get going, don't they? And people depart, walk out. And... But then Jesus comes and he's standing there on the Mount of Olives and I had the privilege of being there several times and I'd love to, to stand there with you. It's an, it's an awe-inspiring view to see a version of what Jesus would have seen, to, to look out over from that hilltop, the city of Jerusalem. And we see the compassion of God. Luke 19, we pick up in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and, and surround you and, and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So you see just the emotion in this moment Jesus knows what's coming, but, but before he even begins to talk about what's coming, his trial, his crucifixion, his resurrection, he, he speaks out over the city. And he, he just demonstrates God's displeasure. Matthew's account of this is a little different. We, we have a different Understanding, He says in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. So Dr. Luke gives us just the facts, and Matthew comes in, and he gives us a little bit of an illustration of this. And, and we can relate if you've been a mother or a father or grandmother or grandfather. You, you see your children or your grandchildren and sometimes you've got to go, hey, come here, come, come back, get over here. And, and sometimes you might grab them by the collar and say, get over here. And so Jesus is looking out over the city. And, and let me just remind you, Jesus had not just shown up when he was born in that manger. Jesus has always been. So he's looking out from this hill that he spoke into existence when he created the word. Because that's what the Bible says in Colossians, that all things were created for him and by him. And he's looking out and he's saying, this is not good, but this is why I'm here. And, and there's a part of that that I think has to be our message when we think about the city. <laughs> this is not good, but this is why we're here. So a, a few things about Jesus, and then we'll apply them to our life. First of all, this, Jesus went to the city. Now, that may be stating the obvious, but I, I want you to see what, what's happening there. Jesus went to the city, even though he knew what was going to take place in the city. What was going to take place in the city was his death. Yet Jesus went to the city. And we learned something that's important 
for how we look at life. Life is not about us pursuing our comfort. It's about us accomplishing his mission. And that's not the American way, by the way. The American way says you work as hard as you can throughout your life and, and then you begin to live out your dreams. And what are your dreams? Maybe you get a place at the beach or, or maybe you get a place in the mountains and, and, and maybe after you've worked in the city all your life, you run away and you get away from people and you just get comfortable. Yeah, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus ran to the people because Jesus loves people. Kind of like my friend Tammy loves people. Larry and Tammy Ruck are part of our church and serve in so many different ways. But I've watched Tammy over recent months, in the last couple of years. She's taken advantage of something that a lot of you have missed out on because she's realized that God brought the mission field to her. So she may never have to travel to Africa or the Middle East or to Asia or to Europe or even South America because she can be a missionary here. So she comes up during the week and, and she builds relationships with students from around the world that are learning English on our campus. And they're from those different places and even different countries and continents that I've mentioned. And, and she might just serve them uh, some food or, or sit around a table and talk to them, but she builds a relationship and then she might invite them into her home. And she didn't know it, but I looked out of my office window earlier this week and I, I saw Tammy and she was kind of coordinating out in the parking lot. And if I'm not mistaken, she had somebody from South America and somebody else from Europe and maybe somebody from Asia and from all over the world, people were gathering, three, four, five of them, and, and they were meeting together here on this parking lot because Tammy was taking them to a park just to hang out just to love on them, just to run to them. Investing in people for the glory of God and the mission of God. Some of you remember that that's what we talked about in Jeremiah 29 a few weeks ago. Remember what God said to the prophet, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now remember the context. The Jews were there exiled. They were, had been taken away. They were captive. And there were some false teachers, kind of the prosperity preachers of that day that were saying, hey, just hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. But we read the Bible and it says sometimes things aren't great. Sometimes things aren't okay. And so these people thought they were going to be delivered and God sent Jeremiah to say, no, y'all need to hang out here a while because it's going to be a bit. It's going to be 70 years before you go. Some of you are going to die here. So what does he say? In verse 5 and 29, it says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. And otherwise, this is a generational time frame that you're dealing with. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I, I think we need to understand this reality God wants us to be where we are. And a lot of us, we spend a lot of time and energy in our life thinking about where we want to be when our God just wants us to be where we are. We're to live for His glory and for His mission right where we are because when we do, it changes lives. It changes lives like John and Maya. John and Maya came to our Six Mile campus 
a good while back and their life was a mess. They'd gotten caught up in addiction and they'd lost their home. They'd lost their children. And our church, you, over there at our Six Mile campus, began to love on John and Maya. And as happens when God begins to work through you and and people see that God loves people because you love people. John and Maya became followers of Jesus. And, and John and Maya were baptized. And they began to pursue living for God. And, and they began to walk away from those addictions. And God broke those chains. And God gave them a home. And then this week, I, I had a first that took, took place. I, I got a call from a county judge. Now, often that could be a bad thing, but on this particular day, that was a good thing because this judge was calling me. He was saying, Pastor, I've just got to shout out to Mission Hill. I just got to praise God for what you're doing because today I had the privilege of presiding over the case of John and Maya. And because of the love of your church and because of the way you've invested in their lives and because of the way you have made a difference, I was able to tell them they have their children back. That's God working. That's what happens when you run to those places God wants you to be. It's a ministry of presence. Somebody says that 90% of success is just showing up. What happens when you show up and you demonstrate the love of God in practical ways, no strings attached, just being where you are. Here's a question for you. Is your presence making an impact on those in your little corner of the world? is where you are a better place because you are there. Jesus went to the city, but there's a second thing in this passage. Jesus wept for the city. That word that says Jesus wept, it literally means he burst into tears. So y'all know this. I'm a little bit of a crybaby. I mean, all I've got to do is watch a Hallmark commercial and the tears start running down my eye. But this isn't talking about a, a, a leakage of the eye. This was a loud, sobbing, wailing cry from the God of the universe. As he looked out over creation, as he looked at the city, he wept. In another place, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And, and if you will allow me just to get on the edge for a second. My southern lady, um, southern lady mother, who was always careful about her wording, whenever we would talk about things of the bathroom, she might would talk about having a movement. All right? There, you heard it in church, maybe for the first time. When it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, it literally means a word that is a guttural movement. He felt it in his gut. When's the last time you've been so moved emotionally over the things of God that you felt it deep within you? 
The only other time we see Jesus crying like this is in John 11 when he weeps over the death of his good friend Lazarus. And Jesus is showing us on both occasions that he's not just physically invested, he's emotionally involved. And so while God wants you to be where you are, he wants you to be physically present, I'm telling you, he wants you to be emotionally involved. So I'd ask you today, are you passionate about the people in your little corner of the world? God's looking for your presence, but he's also looking for your passion. Jesus went to the city. Jesus wept for the city. But then the other thing you see is that Jesus warned the city. So remember the scenario you've got here. Jesus is looking over Jerusalem. And he he begins to weep. And then he says, uh, this is not good. It's not going to turn out good for you. You're going to be destroyed. It's a prophetic voice of Jesus. And in the Bible, there's two kinds of prophecy. One is a foretelling of the future. The other is a telling forth. It's describing what's going to happen. And in this particular case, Jesus does both. He's telling what's going to happen, and then he just states truth. He states the fact. It's prophetic. And guess what? It takes place that way. In 60 AD, or 70 AD rather, under the reign of Titus, the Roman guard, Jerusalem is destroyed. What's left? After that 143-day siege where 600,000 Jews are killed, in 135 AD, Hadrian destroyed the rest. In a way, Jesus is saying that the truth of God is going to shine forth even when you're not willing to receive it. He was warning them. And I think when we see this, we're reminded that every one of us, every Christ follower, we are to have on some level a prophetic voice. We're to be the ones who speak difference into the world. So the Bible does use these things phrases saying we're salt and light. It says in Paul's letter to Corinth that that we are transformed. In fact, I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 5.13 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All the old things are passed away. All things have become new. So, So one of the things we have to ask as professing Christ followers Am I different? Do I, do I look any different from the world in, in my behavior and my attitudes and my actions? And I, I think a lot of us, we're afraid to be different. We're afraid of what those in our office, what those in the classroom, what those in the neighborhood will think. They'll assume we're a weirdo or maybe in some kind of cult. Yet the role of the Christ follower is to be that shining light of truth, even in a world of falsehood. Every Christ follower has a prophetic responsibility in the place that they live. God wants us to be where we are, but he also wants us to be different 
from where we are. So that third question I would ask you, do you have a prophetic voice to the people in your little corner of the world? So let's talk about our little corner of the world. This is a great place to live, isn't it? Some of you have moved here from all over the world. In fact, a lot of people have moved here. Did you know that Tampa Bay is now the second largest metropolitan area in the state of Florida behind Miami? That means in the Tampa Bay area, there are about 3.1 million people that live here. That's incredible. That's a lot of people. And we know that probably 80 to maybe as much as 90% of them have no relationship with Jesus Christ. But we live on this side of the bay, right? We're Tampa, not Tampa Bay. Primarily Hillsborough County. And did you know right now, 1.5 million people live in Hillsborough County? It's a lot of folks. But, but our church, man, we come from Pasco. Uh, we, we come from the east and the west. We come from the south. Our central campus is here in this little municipality. It's called Temple Terrace. Temple Terrace is like a little town in the midst of a big city. We have about 27,000 residents in Temple Terrace. But when you think of our church, you, you don't think just that way. Did you know I did some research and in a 10 mile, that's not right, a 10 minute drive radius of our church. So if you were to draw a circle around our church and drove 10 minutes in every direction, do you know there are over 500,000 people just in a 10-minute drive, most of them don't have a relationship with Christ. It's interesting to me. In 1528, the conquistador, Panfilo de Narvez, he came into Tampa Bay and he named it Espiritu Santo, Holy Spirit. This bay began to be known as the Bay of the Holy Spirit. But now in a state where a thousand people a day are moving to Florida, that's not what we're known for. We're known for hedonism. You know what hedonism is? It's the pursuit of pleasure. So man, people come from all over the world just to pleasure themselves here. Whether that means buying that great place on the beach or whether that means participating in debauchery. Yeah, we're one of the top sites for sexual tourism in the world. Can you believe that? Sexual tourism. That means that all those strip clubs and massage parlors, those kinds of things that you see, man, people are coming from around the world just to engage in sinful practice. Addictions alcoholism, drug abuse. And then there's this idolatry. There's so many things to become our idols in Tampa. Maybe a boat. We've talked about before, it may be your children. Maybe that home or your job. What I'm trying to tell you is we've, we should be at a place in our little corner of the world where we look out and like Jesus, we say, oh, Tampa. We need to be different. 
In our little city of Temple Terrace, you know, we're about 25% Muslim now. You may not have heard this, but we've gotten news recently that the largest mosque in North America is being built in Temple Terrace. So what do we do? Do do we run away? Because that's what the church usually does. I just have to confess. The church usually treats its job like a business. Maybe like a Christian coffee shop or a Christian bookstore. If, if my community's changing, I need to go where more people like me are. And so we retreat and we go to the suburbs and we try to build bigger buildings and get bigger crowds to be like us. But that's not the Jesus way. No, Jesus ran to the city and with great passion, he shared the news there was a different way. And that's got to be a part of what we do. As a a church, it's time that we rediscover our prophetic voice, that we understand that you're not being political when you acknowledge that, good night, this heinous sin of abortion is, is taking the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of baby boys and girls created in the image of God. And it is not political to say that when we read God's word as people of the book, we believe that that God created that marriage relationship as as a reflection of, of our relationship with him. And so that marriage between a man and a woman is sacred. And, and, and so we say that, yeah, we understand we're all sinners, but this homosexual relationships are not of God. And we kind of fill it out and we live out in in different ways in in our lives, but we recognize that it's not okay to just ignore the reality that alcoholism and and drug addiction is taking the lives of people all around us and pulling people away out of their marriage relationships and into all kinds of lifestyles that are creating problems. We've got to stand up and be different. We have to invest. And we have to invest physically by being here. We have to invest emotionally by caring. And then we have to sacrifice. And I was thinking of how to illustrate this. And then this week I heard an incredible illustration I was reminded of in Scripture from, again, the book of Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah chapter 32. Now, here's the context. Jeremiah is in prison. He's a captive. And his city is under siege. It's captive. And and Jeremiah gets this word from God that says, your cousin's going to come to you and he's going to offer you this piece of land there in the city. And you need to buy it. Now, I wanted to tell you that before I read it because I want you to understand how weird that is. That would be kind of like me saying to you, I've got a piece of oceanfront property in Montana I want to sell you. It doesn't make sense. Look, look at it. Here it is. Jeremiah 32, verse 6. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anahoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that's at Anahoth in the land of Benjamin for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field. At Anahoth, 
from Hanamel, my cousin, and I weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. Why is this important? I want you to understand that your investment, the investment I believe God is calling you to make is not based on common sense. Your investment is based on obedience. Obedience to His commands. Obedience to His mission. Obedience to His way of doing things. So what did Jeremiah do? Well, he purchased the land. And then he prayed. (laughs) And sometimes when God's telling us to do something that we don't understand, the only thing we can do is pray. God makes sense of this. Look at what he says in verse 16. After I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neri, I prayed to the Lord saying, ah, Lord God, it is you who've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Hey, when's the last time you prayed to God with great passion? Oh God, I'm willing to step out in faith. I'm willing to put my yes on the table. I'm willing to do whatever it takes because nothing is too hard for you. That's what I'm asking you to pray about. I, I think it's time, maybe church, that we decide if we believe what we come and say we believe. Are you willing to trust God for those things that seem out of your reach? You see the purchase of the land, you see his prayer, and then you see the promise of God. Because at the end of this chapter, God comes back to Jeremiah and he says, hey, hang in there because I am going to restore the land and one day it will be yours and you will be able to inhabit it and make the most of it. And then in verse 27, he says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. Let me ask you this morning, church, is anything too hard for you? The answer to that is yes. But is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Church, is anything too hard for God? Then buy the land. Buy the land. Step out in faith and and invest in the way that God's calling you to invest for the city, for the glory of God. I'm asking you to buy the land from Riverview to Zephyr Hills, from Lakeland to St. Pete, from Sefner to Lake Carroll, from Lutz to Wesley Chapel, from Temple Terrace to New Tampa, from Seminole Heights to Brandon, from Carrollwood to Waimama. Buy the land. Understand that there are people all around us that desperately need to see the message of Jesus Christ. And understand why this is so important. It's so important because this world, this city, it's not our home. A pastor by the name of Tim Keller has spent the last many years in New York City, a church called Redeemer Presbyterian, investing in one of the most difficult to reach cities in the world, investing with the gospel of Christ. He has a lot to say about reaching the cities because, by the way, five million people a month are moving to the cities around the world. And too often the church moves out. 
Listen to his quote. He says, by his grace, Jesus lost the city that was so we could become citizens of the city to come, making us salt and light in the city that is. Jesus stood on that Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he knew that that city was going to be destroyed. But he still went into that city and he died a cruel death on a cross so that you and I could become citizens of his kingdom, of his city, a city to come. But while we're here, he wants us to be present in our cities as his salt and light. I love how the writer of Hebrews describes this. He says, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I long for that city. I really do. There are days that I think, oh God, why am I still here? I would much rather be in in your presence in heaven, in my heavenly home, without the worries of this world. But I don't get to choose that timetable. And so for now, I've got to be present. I've got to be passionate. I've got to be prophetic in this city. Like John Knox was. The Scottish preacher whose life was changed in the Protestant Reformation, he had seen that Catholicism was not the path. And and so he gave the rest of his life making sure the message of the gospel was clear. Near the end of his life, he became known for this prayer. Perhaps you heard it. Give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. What did he mean by that? Why would he pray such a prayer? Well, it's a a prayer of sacrifice. I think it's a prayer that we must pray. It's saying, God, I so desperately want to see change in this place where I live that I'll spend my all. I'll give my everything. I'll do whatever it takes for the cause of the gospel. You know what our city needs? We need some people that will say, give us Tampa or we die. Oh God, give us Temple Terrace or or we die. And put that little municipality or that little corner of the world where you live and say, oh God, give me my city or I die. And that's the last question. What are we willing to give up for the city? I want you to bow your head with me. There's some of you here that have heard these words and I need to just clarify. This is a message that has been 
preached primarily to those who are followers of Jesus Christ already. But the good news is, if you've not yet begun a relationship with God, you've come to a good place. So, so let me just make sure you understand what that relationship looks like. The Bible says that you and I were born separated from God, and it's because of this thing called sin. But we're separated not just because we sin, we're separated because we're sinners. That's who we are. And unfortunately, the Bible says that if, if nothing is done about that sinful state that you and I were born into, that separation from God is going to last forever. And ultimately, that sin will have to be punished. And the forever place of that punishment in the Bible is called hell. But the central message of the Bible is that God doesn't want that for anyone. He desires that everyone come to him. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So that death that Jesus knew was coming when he looked out over Jerusalem, he understood it. It wasn't the Roman guards who were going to kill him. It wasn't the Jewish leaders that were going to kill him. It was our hands. It was our lives. It was our, our sin. That's what the punishment was about. So on that cross, Jesus took your sin and he took my sin. He, he took the whipping. He bore the pain. And he died. But thank you, Jesus, he didn't stay dead. And because he rose from the grave, you and I can have his forgiveness. He showed that sin didn't have to have power. Even death didn't have to have power over God. And so if there's a moment in your life where you understand you're a sinner and you trust what Jesus did on the cross for you and you yield your life to him, you can be saved. I want to give you a chance to, to experience that right now. Maybe you just pray this simple prayer. You would just say, oh, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sin. And I know you're alive today. I, I, I receive your forgiveness. And I'm ready to follow you. Come into my life, Lord. Take control. So that I may know you. Before I close this time of prayer, most of us here would, would profess to be followers of Christ, but, but I'll be honest, the facts don't demonstrate that most of us are loving the city like Jesus loved the city. And so I'm going to ask this to be a, a moment in your spiritual journey where you make a commitment. We're about to sing a song called God of the City. But I don't want you to sing that out until, until you've made a commitment to demonstrate God's presence in our city. And so I'm going to pray for us that God would use this moment to show that he really is God of the city. So Lord, that's our heart. 
We've been in your word. You've spoken to us. We're grateful. And we believe you're the God of the universe. But we see the enemy's work all around us in our city. So we declare this day, you are God of this city. You are God of Tampa Bay. You are God here in Temple Terrace. We worship you. We give you praise. And we stand here present and accounted for. Give us a passion. Break our hearts for the things in this city that breaks your heart. Lord, give us a prophetic voice. Help us not shy away for you, oh Lord Jesus. You're God of this city.